Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Chris Ruddick. He is Tim Johnson. We are here for Love of Code, bringing you current events, opinionated commentary, and witty banter surrounding all things software. These episodes are provided to you by the powerful Prime 3 software, where Tim and I sling code on a daily basis. How you doing, Tim? Super fantastic. I am vertical. All right. All right. He is one sparkly unicorn. Super fantastic today. So. No comments on uh, are you going guard going? today. What's no. that? You're looking quite refined, sir. The kids had a science experiment with me. Yeah. So they colored my hair and that wasn't enough. So they had to color my beard. Colored. Yes. I'm old, man. <sighs> To like Grecian formula colored uh, or like yeah man you don't see like there's no gray you know, I don't have enough uh, dexterity or uh, definition in my camera here to to determine well good on you I wanted to uh, do something fun like pink and purple but April put the, the wife the, the wife can that so yeah I um I keep trying to talk my kids into uh, mohawks at this point because um you know it's not like I got to go to school and look funny I mean exactly it's only it. hair green mohawk but i've I've not i almost had the neighbor kid convinced but um he did color his hair but he did not shave it so i wanted him to commit and he just wouldn't go that way um yeah so i'm pretty hard up for content uh the other day i watched the nationals victory parade replay oh gosh for two and a half hours oh that's brutal yeah (laughs) i have hit rock bottom yes oh man well um you could have done something cool like celebrated uh, Java's birthday, which would just came by on the twenty third. Everybody was, uh, you know, to keep it code related. I saw they have they've put out a roadmap for Java out through like Java twenty one, and I was, <laughs> I was like, I I think I'm on eleven at the moment, and not, not because I did it on purpose. It was just I felt like updating my system and that's what i landed on but dave i I guess they're going to go to an annual release schedule with that or something to that effect yeah so um the last most pop well the most popular one is java 8 which was released i think i read that was 2014 and now they've switched to more of along the lines of what um kind of like linux does so linux and i'm sure other software groups do this as well they will provide a LTS, a long-term uh, support uh, option. And so they're kind of providing that now. Um, so I think the, the latest version is 14, I believe. And I, I'm i not certain if that's their LTS version of Java or not. Um, well, that would explain if it was 21, because that would be next year, not... Yeah. So they said these incremental releases, they'll still be revved up, but they're starting to release like experimental features or like previews, for example, um, that allow them to, um, I guess, let you experiment with it, but not, not be the full blown thing. So, um, you know, Angular just recently did something like that where they, you know, Angular was it angular eight where they introduced the idea of a new compiler, but it wasn't the default and they let everybody get used to it. And then angular nine, they made it the default and then they'll slowly deprecate everything. So, um, there's a lot of cool features I saw, but they came out, I think in Java nine was the, was the feature set that a lot of people were talking about. So, and here's the problem with that, that panacea of that release schedule is, you serve a broad range of customers and I would say the majority of them can't keep up with that level of, 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 um, thrash in the number of, in the number of releases. I mean, I mean, you said it like, uh, Java eight, it was, is the current most, uh, uh, favored release version. And that's because, uh, Java EE is 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 up to that version, but they they haven't made any further progress towards like nine up to fourteen. So there's a lot that holds back an enterprise from from making a, a whole scale change like that. And I would say even, um, I mean, 
we'll do a whole topic on this someday soon. Uh, but I would say that large businesses, uh, enterprise scale just don't have the capacity or the power to, to make a, a rapid version up change like that to something as, as foundational as like a Java language. Well, no, I mean, I distinctly remember the migration from Java, what was at that, at that point called Java one for, um, to Java, was it six or seven or it could have been eight. I don't remember. There was a, like everybody was on four and then you had to like, then if you were, if you were on one, four, you would hope to get off of, off of those projects or get those converted quickly over to the latest because they supported streams and lambdas. And, um, uh, I, I think generics, um, were Eric's one of the five, I think. Yeah. So that, that, that was the, the push. And so, every iteration they've had something that's like, Oh, I got to get a hold of that. Um, like some of the cool stuff in one of the releases. So I watched uh, IntelliJ put out a, a YouTube video. Um, well, I guess we'll link it in the, in the description, um, where there was like, Hey, here's all the things we love about Java. Um, things I didn't know about probably should have, but you know, we've been kind of stuck on Java eight, so it didn't matter. Um, you can add a, a, a runtime flag, to give you more specific um, uh, null pointer exception messages. So you don't just get the random, hey, there was a null pointer somewhere. You'll That'd actually get you'll actually get the line of code uh, with that where the null pointer exception happened. Um, you know, like, hey, I, I went to go to this object and it's null. Here that would it is. be amazing, especially um, all the, the nested objects that, yes. that bite you. Um, so that was a cool feature. Uh, there's something called J shell, which gives you, um, if anybody's familiar with groovy, there was a groovy console. So it gives you kind of a runtime environment that you can, um, not unlike what you can get in the developer's console on a web browser when you can just type in the console and do stuff. So, um, it does live, does those kind of live changes. Um, that's useful for me. It's useful when I'm trying to proof, um, a regex or something like that. I find myself, I find myself always writing regex in a test. Um, and then I, <laughs> I, I feel bad putting them in there because it's not really code that's helpful, but I feel bad for throwing them away because at some point I'm sure I'll have to reference them. So it's like, uh, I don't know what to do with these. Oh yeah. I've got, I've got some regex expressions that I've just parked in a project because it took me days to write them. And I was like, i I don't ever want to lose this and have to write it again. Yeah. So I have a bunch of, I, I typically in a lot of my projects, I'll have a regex test somewhere that just has a well, comp they, compilation of all my regex. They say that's the best place to, to, to put uh, feature code that you're not ready for is, is in a, in a test. And then uh, when you've, when you've got the feature figured out, then you fold it into your, into your code. Yeah. Um, what other cool things? Um, when is the packaging thing what version They're did that calling it modules and yeah. i want to say it came out in 11. oh see i'm way behind um i mean some up. of this some of the stuff i'm only recently getting caught up because it caught me off guard when somebody posted something about hey java 14 is available i'm like wait 14 like what happened to 9 10 and 11 right. um and 12 and 13 and then come to find out hey they've some of these they've skipped some of them they've um and they're start like I said, they're starting to adopt this. This, hey, this is going to be the like I would call this. This is the enterprise version, and then all these other, they should technically be point releases, but they're going to name them, you know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. I think you know. Now, is this is this the Oracle Java or the Open JDK? Yeah, I think it's the it's the Oracle Java, okay. and I think the I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure how all that stuff gets translated. How Oracle is going to share code or if they're not, or um, if they're just going to suggest the APIs and everyone else is going to come up with their own solutions. I don't know. It's going to be a wild world. I'm just yeah. sitting back with my popcorn and waiting to see what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one other thing I wanted to, to mention um, in a couple of our other podcasts, I had mentioned um, uh, Go being the reason Go existed from Google. So Golang was um, for... Um, uh, memory. They were going to try and fix memory checks and make that uh, 
easier for developers not to introduce bugs because of buffer overflows. That was Rust. It's a different language. Yeah. So um, I, I did look up. I'm like, hey, so what's the difference? And really, they're both kind of designed after they both had the similar goals that they wanted to have the performance of like C++, but have um, better, easier tooling and things of that nature. But Rust went one step further to say, hey, one of our core tenants is security. And so, um, you know, Go is, that's not to say Go is not secure, um, but the, 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 the big main focus of Rust beyond um, speed was, was these uh, preventing these buffer overflows and stuff like that. So, um, I did a comparison of Go versus Rust, and Go is the preferred language over the two because it's slightly more user friendly, um, and uh, quite a bit. I think it's quite a bit more lightweight. And it's funny. So we talked about a couple couple podcasts ago about the um, uh, C coming back in favor mm-hmm. uh, because it was a small footprint with these IoT devices. Um, Go and Rust also fit in that that space so it wouldn't surprise me to see like next next year's um uh next year's comparisons or whatever if go and rust don't increase in in that um in that space are you familiar with the gartner magic quadrant that they put out every year um i am for uh cloud platforms yeah so they put one out for all sorts of different things and i casually um look for those um so a little bit of background gartner is a uh mostly research firm uh, i'm gonna mischaracterize them terribly fake news they uh <laughs> yeah fake news, fake news put the put the alert on the bottom um they they put out a um gosh i want to say it's annual report on uh technology and emerging trends and um called the magic quadrant and will identify where a technology lands within that quadrant and that each quadrant uh in the square represents um kind of how they the the sentiment around um that technology so one of the squares i don't remember them all the one of the squares is like wait and see and that's where i'm at with a lot of these languages that have kind of come up in the past 10 years or so because um some have, have uh, emerged quickly and 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 um, uh, burst into flames and have, have faded into into dust, and others have you know continued to plot along and, and make great progress. So, for me, I'm more focused on frameworks than I am languages at this point because um, uh, I'm I'm happy to to uh, explore like the JavaScript space, which is now morphing into the TypeScript space, which is uh kind of ubiquitous across the uh the the web user interface world of things and then uh the back end i'm still kind of dabbling in a few different languages but i haven't gone too deep and i haven't haven't had a really a reason to explore some of the like r and some of the other um uh, languages that have come into vogue to do very specific things i'm fairly certain r is going to disappear soon uh, in favor of Python. Really? Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a big push for R for the data sciences and stuff, but because, um, a lot of machine learning, or at least one of the popular ones is, I think it's called TensorFlow, um, uses Python. So they're coupling, um, machine learning and, and the data science with, with that. And so they've, they've, you know, done a pretty big pivot, um, the last, probably a year and a half, but that underscores what you were saying about a wait and see. (laughs) So just going to hang out and see how it all shakes out. It doesn't, it doesn't always uh, benefit to be on the bleeding edge of everything. No, it definitely doesn't. Especially when you're dealing with um, open source technologies, like the, (laughs) there's a reason they have long-term support versions. And uh, I'll say the, uh, some of the community additions as well as the, um, the, the latest, 
what do they call them? The, uh, the nightly builds. Yes. <laughs> if you, if you pull a nightly build, you can pretty much guarantee something's not going to work the way you, it ought to, or you expect it to. Yeah. I feel like those nightly builds, if you're going to do something like from a programming language perspective, you're, you're quickly, you're closely monitoring, um, whether or not the nightly build has fixed your specific issue. Um, or if you've got a, a, a pull request, Hey, did it make it in? those kinds of things. Um, again, trying to check to see, Hey, is this feature now available? Um, and things of that nature. But yeah, <laughs> I definitely wouldn't go to go to production with, uh, any nightly builds. God, no. Or any, <laughs> I'm like, sure that I'm sure it exists though. Oh, I'm sure it does. It's like going to production with a snapshot. It, you know, it's, it's, it's a work in progress and it's right there in the name. So buyer beware. So the other cool thing, um, that was going on today is DockerCon. I know, I know you're a big proponent of Docker. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, my schedule hasn't allowed me to watch any of it. And it also started at like noon Eastern time and goes to eight Eastern time, which is weird because I thought it was in Europe, but maybe I'm wrong. Must be a West Coast thing today. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, they're, uh, they're, everything's being broadcast out of Palo Alto, or at least that's where the keynotes and stuff are. I actually think that's where Docker headquarters is. So, um. Yeah, they had over, uh, I think they had over 74,000 people registered. Wow. And at one point when I was watching the keynote, they had 60, they were mentioning they had 65,000 actually watching online at that point. So, um, it, yeah, <laughs> they had a lot of cool stuff. Um, there was, a, I started, started dabbling with it uh, years ago and it, like maybe four or five years ago. And like the attendance was like 6,000 people. So that's. Yeah incredible yeah that's one of those technologies that just came out of nowhere and has really changed the landscape of stuff and that was their keynote some of the messages with her keynote was how is docker um kind of changing the landscape even now that we're remote working and things of that nature and with the covid stuff they said they had over what did they say they had over 160 um uh programs or applications that are using Docker that are specifically dedicated to um, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, mm. They even mentioned uh, that that it's not the setting at home, uh, the folding at home uh, project that they're trying to help. They're trying to, you know, crowdsource compute power yeah. to try and I figure out the, stuff. The distributed, yeah. um, distributed processing. Yeah, um, I think they're using Docker for that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's really cool. So if anybody doesn't know about Docker, we'll put a link in the description. It's a virtual environment for your application that doesn't require an operating system. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, bring, bring, bring your own environment within yeah. its self-contained unit. Yeah. So, I mean, that's uh, the cool so, thing about that is, is you get to dictate your entire environment and it's all bundled up. So you can literally hand it to someone and provided they have Docker installed on their environment, they can download the tools and, and run. That was, uh, I, I got turned on to it in, in a real time use case with a customer about five years ago. Um, he had a, uh, a Node.js project and then a, I don't even remember what the front end was, some sort of JavaScript framework on the front end too. Um, and I was, I came to the project late. So the developers had all walked off and, um, so I had no documentation. I had no, no understanding of what I was working with. I had no idea what the runtime environment was. All he had up was a production environment and everything else was turned off and he was looking for some like ongoing support. So, uh, for, for, for you young cats out there looking to become consultants, this is what we refer to as the worst possible scenario. <laughs> um, so for me, it was, um, I, I could only develop in at in production at in real time. There was no other way for me to stand up the environment and um, and and verify my changes besides putting it on the live web page, which is the worst possible uh, thing you can do. 
so I quickly had to learn Docker and, you know, was able to specify the exact version of node, the exact version of the database, the exact, you know, all the constraints that the production system was using and recreate that in a Docker container. And then I could run the application in a self-contained container in my own environment and verify my changes. And that's when the lights went on. It was like, wait a minute, I don't have to worry about what's installed here. I don't have to like <laughs> set up environment, you know, make sure I've got the right environment variables. It was, it was like a Genesis moment for me that just said, oh my gosh, like everything I need to run, I'm bringing with me. I, I <laughs> and oh, it was so freeing I, I, and I've been a fan ever since. So I did uh, a project I spoke about a couple of weeks ago um, at my Kubernetes cluster stood up now to to run a whole bunch of containers in a clustered multi CPU environment using Raspberry Pis. So I'm uh, tinkering around with that to throw some weight at it this weekend and see just how uh, just how well these containers can can perform under load. It's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting. And you're gonna get it to do what? Well, that's, that's the problem. It's a, <laughs> it's a solution in search of a problem at the moment. So I'll have to think of something to, to throw some weight at it. Something that we would do in a, in a real life scenario, like pulling from multiple data sources, aggregating, uh, serving the results back, maybe a lot of uh, data intensive, like uh, pricing calculations like we do on some of our projects. I, I, I still, I vote for brewing beer, man. <laughs> well if it works for that then i think i can brew beer with it too yeah so we talked about um uh the nightly build um do you think that uh those projects truly only build nightly because right now we build on every commit and that's uh that's an interesting concept um i've seen in some places but i've never been on a project with that many um um commit or uh, contributors where it makes sense to only build it nightly. Well, no, I think they build as you go, but they provide that nightly build. Like it's a, you know, I don't want to say cron job. It's a, yeah. um, you know, a Jenkins, a Jenkins job or something like that, that runs at, you know, 10 PM or something like that and barfs out this nightly job. So Jenkins for the, um, for the unindoctrinated uh, is a system used that we use for, for um, continuous integration and it's designed to uh, build your code for you and you can, you can make it do a whole bunch of other things. Um, but uh, it's a, it's a dedicated system for building your software and we use it so far as to also uh, deploy our software, undeploy the, the previous version, archive off, uh, specific versions that we build out. So we've, we've got it. So it's fairly automated and we can, um, we can deploy code almost hands-free. Well, yeah, it's part of the, what do they call it? The CI CD, um, mm -hmm. paradigm, which is continuous integration, continuous delivery. I think, um, you know, the, the grand scheme of things you'd want to, from a developer's perspective, and I can speak from, from what I know about Netflix because they've given several talks on this. Um, you know, developer from the time they, they get a task to writing it and they check it in, it goes through their iterations. And if it passes all their tests and all their, all their gates and stuff like that, it could, it could ultimately end up in production within minutes uh, because of this build pipeline they have. And Jenkins would be one of those, one of those processing things that once you check in, it starts taking over and starts sending things out. Uh, to the world and you know like I said that that that's the that to me is like the castle on high of <laughs> you know um, what's uh, Camelot that's that's where that that, that exists um, I've not been in that environment and it takes a fair amount of effort to get to uh, that world but it, I mean it sounds great to be able to as a developer not have to go through all these um, you know uh, I don't want to say security checks, um, all these um, human involved tasks where they have to then sign off on, yeah, you did everything you're supposed to do. Um, and they really empower a developer to take 
responsibility for the the code that they write. So on the flip side of that, you get code deployed out and it breaks something. You, the developer, get a phone call at 3 a.m. Yep. in the morning. Everybody knows <laughs> it was you. Yeah, yeah. You get you get the you get the phone call to fix it because it was your code. Um, so I mean, it is it a I I would feel like there's a fair amount of stress, but I think with good coding practices and things of that nature, um, you become more proficient and more capable of um, uh, preventing those in the future because of the 3 a.m. phone call. I mean, I, I have no idea if that, depending on the, the snafu, whether or not that's your job uh, at that point or, or if you get to learn from your mistakes, which I, I'm a firm believer in that's the <laughs> that is the single b best way to learn is to make mistakes. Um, hopefully they're recoverable. Um, you well, know. at Netflix, you're kind of expected to make a, a contribution to the production system on your very first day. And that's a tribute to how their pipeline is set up that you can, uh, with, with little, with little guidance and, and, uh, the, the correct amount of, um, I won't say supervision, but uh, uh, correct amount of um, process documentation, you can uh, be a contributing member of the team straight away. But, you know, that's not, um, you know, it is a panacea for, you know, uh, it, that that is like an ideal that you and I strive to to hit one of these days. Um, but that's a that's a heavy investment from from an organization. I mean, it's it's not just, you know, a commitment to automated testing it's also a commitment to defining your quality gates you know making sure that the code is hitting a certain quality threshold it's um all the the dependencies that a code might piece of code might have like uh any any database changes that have to be made um making sure that there are no ripple effects from from those changes with with a proper degree of regression and integration testing. Um, you, you touched on security, you know, making sure you're not introducing any sort of con uh, security vulnerabilities in the process. Um, and I mean, it's, it's a, there's, I can only imagine uh, what that pipeline looks like in, in real life. And it, it's not something that you can get to overnight. It's a, like I said, a, um, it's a significant investment to, to get to that place. But I think the reason you and I are so high on it is because it is really empowering and freeing to the developer to see code go from concept to development to deployment in, in near real time. And having been on several, several, several government projects where code you write might not make it out to the field for 10 years. That's a, that's really a, a, a paradigm shift. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about, you know, the, the, the lag we have with one of our current customers, you know, it could be, it could be, you know, upwards of three months before we actually get something um, pushed out. And, you know, a lot of other organizations I'm sure are at least that, um, and it's really difficult that when it comes to, you know, three months is a long time to hold a context of, hey, what's in this release? So you rely heavily on release notes and um, JIRA tickets and things of that nature of what it is. And then sometimes, you know, depending on the size of the team, you, you're not even really sure. Like, I mean, there's a fair amount of investigation you have to do. Um, to figure out like, hey, was was there a bug that was not discovered in in QA testing that makes it out to production? And you're like, hey, what what is this? And how did this end up here? And um, you know, maybe there's a there's a hole in in your process. But I mean, you're like I said, you're you're three months. I, I have a hard time remembering what I did uh, a month ago, let alone three week three months yeah, ago. For sure, um, for sure. Yeah, you've already moved on. Your, your two features downstream from, from what you wrote three months yeah, ago. Absolutely. So you touched on process a lot. Um, a great topic for today would be 
what what is the a day in the life of a developer? What's your daily process? Oh, sweet. So let's see. Um, I do podcasts. Wake up. <laughs> I might wake up. Now that we're all remote, you know, do I even have to get out of bed? Um, well, now you're falling into the 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 uh, the tropes of of the typical software. Uh, developer, or at least as they're portrayed on on TV and the movies. So yeah, I gotta dust the crumbs off my chest because I stay up till three a.m. playing games, and Boom. then you you fall out of bed at like ten thirty and drink a pot of coffee, and then start turn on your sixteen computers in your mom's basement, and yeah, <laughs> bathrobe, fuzzy slippers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, a typical day for me, um, you know, when the kids are going to school and stuff, I mean, it's difficult to do anything much before they get to school. And it's hard for me to remember what it was like for them to go to school now, since it was, well, what was their last school? The middle of February? Uh, It was Um, March sometime, I think. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I think I might be able to get, get to work, start working around eight. 8:30 ish, something like that. Um, uh, typically starts with checking emails and and whatnot to see if anything uh, anything happened while I was out um, from the time that I signed off. Um, we do a something called a daily stand up around nine o'clock, um, where we kind of re- all the developers report what they what they worked on uh, yesterday, what they're going to work on today, and whether or not they have any issues. Um, then I, you know, review, typically review, you know, any tech news or anything that's happened that might not affect the project of today. Um, but, uh, you know, be good to know, like the Java 14 is out now. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm doing the same thing. Um, I'm usually over breakfast. I'm thumbing through my phone, reading tech blogs and, and latest headlines that uh, I've got a, a couple of alerts set up that um, will send me any kind of pertinent information around you know, whatever things I've, I've deemed that I'm interested in, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly reading through articles. Uh, I'll probably read five or 10 a day just to, to kind of stay up and up and on top of the latest and greatest, you know, advancements that are being made. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know any, any other way to do that. Like, I mean, most of my news I'm now getting from either YouTube or just the compilation of stuff that, that Google generally provides on my phone of like, Hey, here's all the things that you've seemed to be interested in. Um, <laughs> let's keep going with that. Um, so let's see. So I'm up to stand up. Um, I'll review. I try before stand up. I try and review what's on our Jira board, which is what we, we use to manage all of our tasks um, to, to do work, to make sure everyone's, you know, make, make sure there's no new bugs added, um, that, that everyone's, uh, staying on task and things of that nature. Um, yeah. So Jira is a project management software. Um, uh, it's, it's one that we use from Atlassian, but there's, there's plenty of them out there, um, for, for managing, you know, the state of your, your software development project. That's where all of our, uh, bugs and features and everything else lives. And that's where we kind of track our progress as we're, as we're making, making, uh, making new software. Yeah. So from there, um, I'll probably spin up my virtual machine. So I work mostly, so my, my environment is, um, uh, running a windows machine and, uh, but most of our code and things are deployed in Linux. So, um, I have a virtual machine that runs uh, runs our Linux environment with our with all of our um, VPN connections and IDEs and all that fun stuff. Um, you know, I I it's a, a little annoying um, in that it's not the native OS. Um, I'm not brave enough to to go full Linux for a native OS. I I do like being able to print. <laughs> um, I can print. Yeah, well, I like to be able to print easy. Um, Linux sometimes makes you work for it, and I I can't even blame Linux. I would say the device manufacturers make you work for it because they're, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze to come up with custom drivers for 
uh, Linux operating system when only, you know, 3% of the population even uses it. Um, oh, I would say we're about to look this one up, but I would say the number of operating Linux operating systems. Yeah, that's a good question because they're, they're heavily used, you know, in server type environments, but I wonder like the average consumer. Well, yeah, I just that. read uh, an article, well, parts of an article this week where one of the, f I think he's a former head in Microsoft, um, was having a, a discussion about how uh, Bill Gates and, um, shoot, what's his name, Phil? No, it's not Phil, what's his name? Oh gosh, he owns the LA Clippers now. Um, oh yeah, um, yeah. Can't think of his name. <laughs> Bomber, Steve Bomber. Yeah. That the two of them hated open source because they saw it as a challenge to Microsoft and Windows. Um, but I think with the popularity and the explosion of cloud computing um, with regards to what Google was doing and what um, especially AWS was doing, they didn't have a choice. So Linux, you know, people wanted to deploy Linux in, in the cloud and run all their work services and stuff. So they, they've now pivoted um, to their credit and, you know, Linux or excuse me, uh, SQL server now runs on Linux. VS code runs on Linux. Um, they have a bunch of first class citizens that work on Linux now. Uh, their office suite, nope. <laughs> you got to come up with your own, uh, own open source solution for that. But, um, but they're talking about how just the mindset was different. Um, and yeah, so I mean, Linux is getting more and more support. Um, it's just not as good as what Windows has traditionally been because the, Windows is the, I think at one point they were, they had 99% market share. And I think the only, the, the other, the, the share of the 1% was between Apple and Lennox. <laughs> so you'll, you won't catch me going back to a windows machine and um, you'll never, you'll never catch me on a Mac ever. Well, I, I loved Mac. Let's just put it out there. Like I when the 10 years or so that I was on a Mac. I, I loved it. Um, what I didn't love is the upgrade cycle that they have you constantly on. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, they, they change their architectures and stuff very frequently. And if you're going to stay in that ecosystem, if you're going to be, what do they call them? I sheep, um, you know, f knock yourself out. But so I would say on the right is open source on the left way over there is Apple. <laughs> they are, they're the antithesis to, to what the open source movement's all about. And that's why I'm not a fan. Well, there's, they still like, you know, their, their main OS was, was a branch, a branch of free, free BSD, which is a Unix uh, operating system. Um, not unlike what Linux is, but he, they've constantly um, been bombarded by people from the free BSD community and open source community as a whole saying clearly Apple has done stuff with the operating system and per the open source licensing, they should provide that information back to the community and they just aren't, they don't care. Um, and you know, that is what it is. Uh, and we, we can beat up Apple, uh, for quite a while, but I'll let you get back to, um, to spinning up your VM. Yeah. So, you know, I spin up my VM. I use, um, virtual box, which is Oracle's, uh, virtual machine. Um, it's reasonably okay. Um, you can copy, copy paste between, uh, between the host environment, which is Windows and, and my Linux environment and stuff. Um, I recently upgraded my computer um, from a laptop to a full-blown beast of a laptop or a desktop. And the joy it was in being able to just zip up that uh, virtual machine and then drop it on my new box and then just click go. And my entire environment was there all my connections to every, like everything was there. It was, it was like, I never left. 
Um, that was, that was beautiful. Like, I almost feel like that's the way to do development. Um, probably one, one step on top of that. My understanding is Docker, you could do something similar in Docker. And so you're running, you're running Docker, what would appear to be on windows, but it's truly not, um, haven't quite figured out how the command line and things of that nature would need to work, uh, in order to access Docker for windows was not really well done at first they've made some some strides but um well they have a linux kernel now available on windows because of docker yeah it's getting i've said it's getting getting much better when when you when when you had all the collisions with like hyper v and all that other stuff that was going on three or four years ago that was really really painful to the point where it wasn't even for me it was almost a non-starter next yeah i pick up pick up source code um whatever i was working on make sure i grab the latest changes there it um, is what's that that was that was a habit i really had to uh to come around to but uh now it's something i do every day is um first thing in the morning is i do a git pull and bring my branch up to date with the latest and um if anything's Typically, my feature branches are just me working on my features. But um, say, say I branched off of of another branch, uh, like a development or a master branch. I want to make sure I incorporate those changes as soon as possible, because otherwise, there's nothing worse than you're ready to commit and you get blocked from a commit because yep. you've got you know, <laughs> 15 changes stacked up in in your uh, in your destination branch that are incompatible with what you've got. It's it's a lot easier if you are incorporating those as you go along. You have a strategy for that? Uh, no, I mean, I generally, we, we work with Git. Um, uh, I think most of the free world does at this point. Um, no, I, I don't. I, I try to... Um, what do you do, a rebase or a merge? Generally, I do... Um, I'll, I will stash my changes and then do a pull and um, or merge depending yeah. on where the, where the stuff is coming from and then um, then pop my my stash off the off the stack. Um, I find that works better than than anything else I've tried. I, I still get lost in the whole pull and rebase and fetch and all that stuff and I know two of them are synonymous but i couldn't tell you which at the moment yeah see my id does all that all that uh, hocus pocus for me and i don't see, know if that's to my detriment or not yeah i'm a command line junkie so i'm i'm uh i don't rely on the ide to do that for me that'll be a great topic for us to hit in a future broadcast too yeah i mean some of the some of the uh, the background commands and stuff that they do i mean it's really like power power user level git commands when i'm like oh my gosh um, like I can do a, I can do a fetch and pull for every branch and that's a recent change with, uh, so I use IntelliJ. So pull your code down, update your branching, um, make sure, make sure you're working off the latest and greatest source code next what? Yeah. The stuff, the stuff Chris was just talking about, you know, if, if, if what is it? The, 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 uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure or whatever. So do that pull first thing and I mean, pull often. I mean, there's, I mean, if you've got a lot of developers, um, you know, you got to get those latest changes because the, the, the sooner you can merge those changes, the less headache you're going to have. And, you know, we work from a, a get flow, uh, perspective. So typically when we have a, a task, uh, or a user story or something that we're working on, um, we branch. Um, and so, most often we are in a branch by ourselves. So those things don't generally impact us, but you know, development changes that get made to that branch. Um, we will have to incorporate those or when we, when it comes time to pull request, you know, you're gonna have to do that anyway. So, um, better, better sooner than later. Um, so, um, from that, uh, you know, start working on my code. When do you write your tests? Uh, what are those? No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, in a previous, in a previous talk, we had talked about, you know, the best way to leave the day is with a broken test. 
Um, so you know kind of where to pick up. So, you know, if, if you were in the, if you got a good, a good habit to get in, I should say, would be to get in, get your IDE going, do a poll and then run your tests. And then you can see like, you know, Hey, what broke? And then kind of go from there. Ideally you, the only thing that's broken is wherever you left off with your thought, with your, uh, last task. So I would, yeah, I don't know. I, I said it last time. I don't, I don't like that approach. Cause I like to, cause I'll stew over all night. Like, Oh man, that test wouldn't work. You know, I, I like to leave on a high note, make sure everything's running. But the last thing I do on the way out the door is push. So no matter where my code is, I push my changes up to, yep. to the origin that way. Um, I view operating systems and, and systems at, in general as um, almost throwaway. And, I'd, um, and I, I switch between multiple machines, uh, sometimes daily. So my, my code lives in the central Git repository, be it in GitHub or Bitbucket or uh, the company owned um, Git repository, wherever it is. Uh, that's where I want my code to stay. And then uh, wherever I'm at, I just pull down the latest change that I might've pushed up on from my other machine and um, I'm right back to work. Yeah, and the other thing that helps avoid is frequently, you know, being in the Windows environment, the stupid thing will reboot in the middle of the night and yeah. won't have saved my changes. Um, uh, luckily, again, another plug for IntelliJ. We are not sponsored by them, but you know, I, I would I would take a free license. Um, but IntelliJ does a well, I, I guess Eclipse does too. They do a um, last saved, so even though you don't save, they, they will periodically save your file as you make changes. So it's just a pain in the butt to have to go back through and kind of recover those files because, you know, often I will have left my virtual machine up and running. So when I do get in in the morning, I don't have to, you know, I can pick up where I left off. Um, but you know, if the machine's rebooted, I'm like, I'm ho I, you know, I spend the next 20 or 30 minutes trying to recuperate that stuff. And had I, you know, checked in, uh, or pushed up, um, you know, I wouldn't have that issue. And then you also, that also helps negate any type of hardware fails you, you have, maybe your hard drive crashes on you or your, or your power supply takes a dump on you. And you you have to like, for, for, for me, I have a desktop. Um, I also have a laptop. So, and Chris is in a similar situation when he travels back and forth from his house to the office, you know, this gives you the flexibility of just being able to, to, um, kind of migrate environments and things of that nature. So, you know, big key, big key things to push up. And then the, the, the benefit of, again, with us branching is our Jenkins job that we talked about earlier, um, doesn't build these feature branches. It only builds on the development branch um, and our master branch. So everything else is untouched because that's definitely something you don't want to do is checking code that breaks the build. Yeah. Um, pro tip. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was my uh, second year on my second programming job. And I, I think it was Memorial day weekend, but I was taking a long, I was taking a five day weekend and I checked in on a Thursday at like four o'clock and went out the door. And this predates cell phones, so nobody knew how to get a hold of me. And I come back in on Tuesday to um, to get a talking to by the the senior developers, who um, made it very clear to me that thou shalt never ever check in code that will not compile. <laughs> and uh, check in, check in and, and go. <laughs> if you, if you're going to check in, you need to wait around and make sure that, uh, it builds completely. Um, uh, you only have to do that once or twice and, um, you, you learn from your lesson pretty quickly. Yeah. Especially on a big team where they're going to, you know, for lack of better term terms, kind of hold your nose in it a little bit. Oh, we were at a place where, um, if you're, if your commit failed the build, they would just roll it back and it was up to you to like figure out how to make it go back in. Yep. That was really painful and heavy handed. It was tough to, 
you <laughs> you definitely had some um some phobia when it came to uh pushing up that final change well i mean that 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 goes i think i feel like that goes a long way you know a lot of people would you know maybe frown on that in today's culture i'm not i'm not sure because you know with us i i feel like we're we're competent enough to to kind of pull somebody aside and be like hey it'd be really good that we don't do that again um but for for that for that time frame you know they really they really strongly felt that public humiliation works and it in fact does you know if you've got if you've got a whole project that comes to a screeching halt and you've got a hundred developers, you know, all screaming at you because they can't check in their stuff. You know, they also want to go home, uh, on the, uh, for Memorial day and they want to leave early and crap. The builds broke. Well, you know, you can't leave with a broken build. So you're left with either somebody needs to fix the build or like Chris said, you, you get it rolled back so everybody else can do it. So, I mean, you kind of, that public shaming, I, and I, you know, when I was exposed to it, it worked. Um, whether that's right or wrong in 2020, I, I don't know. Um, I know we function differently as a company um, from that. So, well, I mean, I would say generally my rules for for making my my commits are: um, is am I up to date with the branch? Uh, do all my tests pass? Does the build run to completion? Okay, green light to go forward. Um, and it, the only time I end up breaking a build is when I skip one of those steps. And typically it's around running the build to completion because our builds will run uh, not quite five minutes, but not not more, I mean, not less than than two minutes. So, I mean, they're it's enough time where it's just like, Oh, I just want to get this code in. I know everything's good. I haven't really done anything weird. And you know, it's, it's that, that last second test that I put in or that, that file that I forgot to include in my commit or, you know, it's always something typically when I'm rushing, that's where I make my mistakes. And, um, and that's when, that's when, you know, the build fail happens and then I, I got to deal with it. And, you know, it's, like you said, we, it's not the end of our world, you know, uh Oh, I broke the build. I'll fix it. I mean, I, I certainly have to take responsibility for it. That's expected from, of me, from the team. And I expect the same of everyone else. But, um, you know, it's, it, it when I stick to my process, I'm, I'm, I'm much better off. So to kind of, I guess, finish up what we were talking about, you know, so beyond writing code, um, you know, there's days when, uh, you know, deployment has to happen. Um, those for us right now are typically in the morning. So we schedule off time for the, for the business. And then we get up, you know, typically we'll get up early enough to actually get the deployment out the door and, and monitor it, uh, and get it released. Um, and depending on who the project manager is, we might, we, the developer might send out an email saying, Hey, it's up, have fun. Uh, kind of messaging. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what other stuff we we handle. Um, well, I mean, how many times a day do you switch programming languages? Really depends on what the what the features are working on. Some you know, some days you know we got back end and front end stuff, and you know our our primary you know our primary back end language is is Java and mostly Java with uh, Spring Framework, um, and then our front end is you know um, uh, angular. Um, so it really, really depends. And it's, it's a little challenging to kind of context, switch. um, but the people that were, some of the people that, that emphasized testing in, in Java land, um, actually made it over to the ang They started the angular project. So a lot of that stuff starts to feel very familiar. Um, so I that's a, I was on a project a few years back and I think I counted that I switched to seven different languages in one day. Cool. Now that's, that's brutal. Know, what defines a language, right? So, yeah. I mean, but I mean, I think, you know, if you really want to get into it, um, like Java, JavaScript, HTML, XML, YML, SQL, 
something else. I mean, that, that yeah. you, get up, you get up there pretty quick. Yeah, I don't attribute SQL to as a language, but it it is. <laughs> it is called structured query language for a reason. Um, but I that's think it's much more of a language than like YML, which is more of a construct. But yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, well, you could have the same argument for XML. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I could I could see seven with those criteria. But generally, yes. I try to like. I try to organize things so I'm not making those context switches as often. I try to like take care of all of my web service work uh, one day, get my API written fully, then switch over and do my UI work for a couple of days. That way I'm not having to hop back and forth between the languages. It happens, especially when you're getting down to doing integration type stuff. You're going to, oh man, that's a... Uh, that's a, a number and it ought to be a string. You know, you have to go in and, and make those adjustments. Um, but I think my day in and day out, it's not too much different than yours. I mean, I'm really, like you said, I, I, I catch up on, on my reading usually first thing in the morning and maybe during lunch if I'm taking a break, um, throughout the day. Um, yep. First thing I do is, um, make sure my code is up to date. And then I'm looking to, uh, to the project management um, software to tell me who's doing what, where, where I, to best apply myself. If I'm picking up uh, a project that I was continuing on, um, I kind of know where I left off. Uh, the one thing I would say uh, that I'd add to yours that I probably cut you off on is, um, you know, I get my, I get my code working, uh, get everything done, get it to a place where I can commit it at the end of the day. Uh, I try to check in every single day, no matter where I'm at. And then the last thing I would like to do is um, update the, uh, go back and update Jira and make sure that, that 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 board is up to date. So the team knows, and I'm trying to do it throughout the day. I'm, I'm not as diligent with that as I ought to be, but uh, try to keep that up to date at least daily so that the team knows where I am and um, management can kind of understand um, where their project is um, on a, on a, on a fairly consistent basis. So they, they kind of can, can make, uh, adjustments to their plans and, and what have you. What about meetings? Meetings. Um, I try to avoid them as much as possible. <laughs> um, uh, in general, in agile, I think we're trying to have fewer meetings, right? Uh, the, the whole intention is to, um, is to, clear those roadblocks out of your way so that you can focus on your development process. Um, for better or worse lately, I've been doing more of the, um, the scrum mastering than I've been doing, uh, the development work. So I'm, I'm, and, and a little bit of the project management as well. So I'm not, um, I'm not in the trenches as much. So I'm having to, to clear some of those landmines ahead of the team, but, um, yeah, meetings are going to happen. Uh, we schedule a, a six-hour development day, uh, knowing that it's an eight-hour workday. Thinking, you know, there's going to be time where we're standing around the water cooler or we're um, having to go to meetings and that kind of thing. It's it's ex it's we know it's going to happen, um, and it's expected, and we bake it into our into our budgeting. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a key that's a key point. You know, you know we we budget six hours of true like developer time. Um, and those don't necessarily factor in, Hey, um, I got a, I got a bug. I can't quite figure out, Hey, Chris, can you, can you help me out with this understanding? Um, or Hey, there's, there's an integration that I don't quite get. Um, so, you know, somebody taking some time to, to kind of, you know, nail that, nail that discussion down. I'm, I'm somebody that prefers to talk to, talk to someone. Um, but some of that, 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 that timing, you, you, you can't work eight, you know, a solid eight hours. Like there's been tons of studies that show, you know, you get mental fatigue, you start making mistakes. Um, and the whole idea here with us, with, with our scrum and being agile is we want something that's a sustainable, uh, pace. So, um, you know, you definitely don't want to get mentally fatigued. So, yeah. And I think, um, the, the, the key 
both in agile and what we've been doing that's been working lately is really focusing on like bite-sized units of work so if when we're really on top of our game and we can uh we have we have all the requirements in front of us everything we have all the resources we need to make make something happen we can plan a feature down to the nth degree those are really bite-sized units that you know might take a few hours might take a day um but that whole um come in uh find it figure out what you're doing that day pull that task update your code start your tests um do your development it's it's very it's very much an iterative iterative process where you're you know just kind of going through that formula before i commit i got to make sure i've got a proper amount of test coverage i've got to make sure that i've got uh documentation on 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 my um on my methods um i've got all the database changes documented and and they're they're put in place where they need to go I, you know i've checked all the boxes off i've committed my code the feature is ready i can create a pull request that the team can then do a code review on and i'm kind of resetting mentally and picking the next task off the board and repeating that process and it's really just going through your formula um every challenge every day is different but in general you're you're just kind of repeating that process over and over again yeah one thing you know when we're talking process and we start throwing agile into it and scrum you know as we were talking i started thinking about one thing that i that i try and do that i haven't i haven't mentioned i i try and record um what i did that day because at some point um i need to um be accountable for for what that was whether it's you know moving a task on a jira board or reporting back for um for our um, stand-ups or something like that it's important to kind of know like what you worked on um so i generally will do that before we do stand-up um just only a few minutes before we do stand-up so i'll you know i'll review the jira board i'll take my notes and then, you know, kind of have, have stand up and from a process improvement, you know, as I'm saying that verbally, I'm wondering if it wouldn't be, wouldn't serve me better to at the end of the day, write down what I worked on, or even as I go through the day, what did I work on? So, um, you know, and update the board at the end of the day. Cause that's one thing that I, I don't generally do at the end of the day. Like when I, when I, you know, it's enough for me to check in code, run the tests, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm checked out at that point. It's like, okay, how do I, how do I shut my computer down? Kind of, kind of, uh, stuff. Um, and I worry about those JIRA tasks and stuff tomorrow because I know I'm gonna have to look at the JIRA board anyways for my next, next tasking or things of that nature. So it's, um, you know, I'm wondering if just again, in an effort to improve my process, I wonder if that, that would be better served if I did it at the end of the day. So in real time we're just analyzing how how to get better <laughs> yeah. and i think that's what it's all about is finding we'll wrap it up but uh, you know it's it's all about finding what works for you um and then just continuing to to dial it in and the the business is going to change throughout the course of your career that's that's most businesses it's how you adapt to those changes and how you figure out how to do your job better uh that that's going to set you apart and um you know everybody is going to have a different process you got to find the process that works for you and um and and, and in the end you're going to find that that sweet spot where you are able to be the most productive um and and really be a high performing uh software developer yeah. And it's more that like, you know, I hope this underscores one thing is, is more than just writing code. Um, you know, we've, I, I know I've dealt with, and you have as well developers that are like, Hey, I don't want to go to meetings. I don't have to update the, the board. I just want to write code. That's why you paid me. I'm paid to write code. And it's like, uh, no, <laughs> you know, when, when we budget six hours, that two hours of the day is kind of for management. <laughs> Yeah, another topic for the future is um, the concept of the 10x developer, which I've read about uh, a couple weeks ago. 
um, when when you just want to write code, you're you're a one x developer. You you are you are only serving the team in one capacity. Yep. Um, you're not doing uh, doing your part as a teammate. While you know you think you're being productive, you're not uh, you're not producing as a team as much as as you could be. Absolutely. I mean, you can draw all kind of sports analogies to that. Like, you know, Hey, I'm only, uh, I, I can only hit home runs. Okay, great. But we need a base hit here or something like that. Right. Um, you know, you got to do what you need to do for the team, for the betterment of the team, because the team is ultimately what's going to, you're a member of. It's also, it's ultimately going to help you be in a, a, a more sustainable, happier work life. Um, and we should all strive for that. You know, one of the, one of my happiest things I can say to people is I'm doing the job that doesn't feel like a job. I mean, I can do, I, I can do what I do 18, 20 hours a day if I needed to, because I like it. It doesn't feel like work. Um, and that's because I like what I do. So, um, you know, all this is in those kind of, you know, you don't, you don't want to have come in and have to deal with the pissed off teammate because you refuse to update the board and because you won't do it. I have to, um, kind of crap, you know, <laughs> we're all adults act accordingly. It's part of the, it's part of the job. And, um, instead of complaining about it, figure out how you can, how you can help or how you can help wrap it up uh this episode was brought to you by prime three software where tim and i build well-crafted software to help unlock the full potential of your business um you can find all information about for love of code on forloveofcode.com that's f-o-r love of code.com you can get us on youtube and all the places where you suck down your streaming content we really appreciate you joining us today please join in the conversation uh drop us a line let us know what you love let us know what you hate maybe we'll uh incorporate some of your comments and hopefully uh continue to refine this product and this process as we go along thank you so much for joining us have fun be well